Coming up, Matt finally explains what Rodeo is. I talk about the Homeless World Cup. On the assignment desk, we have four entries. For Masterclass, we get Emotional. There's a lot of listener cues. Cycling with Sunflowers. Episode 57 is next. You cannot be serious! That ball was on the line! Konnichiwa, this is you, Vocal. Shalom. This is Matt Cohen. <laughs> Welcome to Big Lens Fast Shutter, where we demystify the world of sports photography. And if you have forgotten, and I know you haven't, it is never too late to send a couple of bucks our way since this is a 100% user-funded audiovisual entertainment. Please go to patreon.com slash BLFS, and that is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BLFS. And show us how much you love us, because we are here to make you a better sports photographer. Off we go to news. Matt Cohen. News. Here news, both Ryu and I will tell you our best and worst shoot of the previous month. And we talk about ourselves because we are egomaniacs. Um... You want to start? Yeah. It's so hot here, by the way. My best shoot, the rodeo in St. Paul, Oregon, which is a 4th of July rodeo here. 4th of July is a big deal in rodeo because it's called Cowboy Christmas. Over, <laughs> really? Yeah. Over the... there's Well, it's because there's a ton of money at stake. There's a lot of rodeos, and okay. they're generally grouped around each other. So it just ends up being like this mad dash of guys like, driving and renting planes and chartering helicopters and mm. uh you know going from rodeo to rodeo trying to make as much money as they can and the guy who won the most money over the uh over the fourth it's like a you know it's like a big deal if you're the top money winner or whatever okay so he won a bunch of money anyway so saint paul is like the biggest money wise rodeo over the fourth it's a really great old arena all wood the morning session is right at when the sun comes over the trees and the evening session is the sun getting ready to go over the trees so the light is great basically the whole time Mm. and it's one of the very few rodeos left where i can shoot the bull riding from the announcer stand so i shot like six sessions of bull riding from looking straight down on it which is really cool because i basically go the whole rest of the season without being able to do that at all Mm. real friendly rodeo pretty um, you know what time. like i got michael mozart who i met uh in austria and wien in vienna wien by the way it's in german like that he was asking like just really briefly because a lot of people don't know much about rodeo that if you can just kind of like tell very not don't don't go crazy you know just very like simple like the type of competitions the basic type of competitions you know what let's just do with that and then i think next time we'll kind of get into like a little bit more about what rodeo is because a lot of people really honestly don't know what rodeo is okay um yeah yeah, there's the basic events are there's two different kinds of bronc riding so there's bareback 
bronc riding where there's no saddle and all you're doing is holding on to a handle that's strapped to the horse. And then there's saddle bronc, which you have a saddle and a bronc rein for balance. Uh, and then there's bull riding, which I think most people are familiar with. So those are called the rough stock events because, you know, it's pretty rough. Mm-hmm. The other events are called the timed events. Okay. So there is steer wrestling where you jump off a, a horse and tackle a 400-pound steer. There is uh, tie-down roping where you have to rope a calf and then jump off of your horse and then tie the calf's legs together. And there's team roping where you have two guys and one guy puts the rope around the steer's horns and the other one puts the rope around the steer's legs. Then the other event is barrel racing. That's the only one for women. The women run in a cloverleaf pattern, try to get the fastest time. The timed events are all ranch kind of events where you would have to catch an animal to give it medicine or a doctorate in in some way. So that's where those come from. Anyway, so all of the rodeos, most all of them have all the events. So that's one of the reasons why I like shooting rodeos, the variety of it. There's a different way to shoot all of those because you get so many chances at it. You can try different things and it's not just shooting the same thing over and over again. Like if you're shooting baseball or something, it's six different events. So just, you know, also very briefly, how come like the women are not allowed to compete in like those, the cooler events? Well, actually, um, they, they are allowed to compete. They just, they're not competitive in general, um, in, in those other events. Like there, a few years ago, there was a woman who was actually a bull rider. Mm -hmm. I think she got injured pretty badly and then didn't do it anymore. Um, they're. There is a bronc rider, I believe, who is a woman, but it's it's such a physically, it would be like asking, you know, women to compete, you know, in the Olympics in, you know, with men. So mm-hmm. instead of having like women's powerlifting and men's powerlifting, it would all be one thing. Okay. So it's just not, it's not possible. There, I think there are, there are some women team ropers who, you know, can win here and there, but not uh not consistently so it's the the women's event is in in pro rodeo the women's event is barrel racing okay so hopefully that answered some of your questions about what is rodeo and how that works but if you have any more questions about it matt will be very happy to answer them because you know he likes to talk as for me i shot well the homeless woke up i think that was like the main thing um I went to the Homeless World Cup in Glasgow and I was there for about five days. The first day I was there, I was a bit like, I'm going to shoot because I've done done this event in Paris three years ago. And I thought, you know, I really want to do this because I feel like there's a part of me that I want to kind of give back to the football community. And Homeless World Cup is very, very good. You know, it's... um, for people who are marginalized in society, um, ex-drug users, ex-homeless people, ex-criminals, all these things, they want to you know, kind of use football to rebuild their life and kind of restart their life. And I think it's a wonderful thing. Just saw these guys with very funny hair. And I approached them and they're the Indonesian national team, you know, for the Homeless World Cup. What I decided to do was that I was going to follow them the entire time. The goalkeeper had no legs. He was born that way, but he was one of the, you know, one of the best goalkeepers in the tournament. It was just fantastic. More of those, like, you can probably see, like, stuff 
um, that I shot on Instagram and also on Facebook. But um, more stuff will be released uh, on print and online soon, but I'll keep you updated on that. The other thing that I did was probably my worst shoot is uh, I went to shoot Keisuke Honda, who plays for AC Milan, and Horie is a very, very, this, this guy in Japan who's a very kind of weird um, entrepreneur. And they did an interview together in Austria. In Veen, I did that, so it was interesting. But I didn't shoot any football because there was a、um, preseason tournament. Honda owns a second division Austrian team. That was the whole thing. It just wasn't very, very interesting, you know. It's just like shooting interviews. <sighs> you know, celebrities are being celebrities, but they were not rude, by the way. So just so you know, you know, some sometimes famous people not that rude. And that will wrap up the news. Ah, you know what? Very briefly,、um, I bought the、uh, man I was just talking about before, but I bought the 200 F2 recently, and it's a very good lens. And、uh, I guess we'll talk about it more in coming days when I do a bit more stuff in the dark. So that wraps up news, and we will go straight to your favorite section, which is assignment desk. We give you an assignment, and you show us if you've been listening. Don't doze off, and show us that you've been an attentive student or a bad one. Mostly bad ones. Sometimes I have, have to admit we're not very very clear on what you guys have to do, but this one was very very clear. So you have to basically shoot very high, like from a very high vantage point, or very very low. So we have four. I don't know what other people actually do because we ask something like I would hope that they would kind of do it, you know. Yeah, and this was one that anybody、yeah. could do. Like, you don't need special access or anything to do this assignment. Like, it looks like some of these you might have, but you don't need it. Anything that you're shooting, you could shoot high or low. You could certainly shoot low wherever. Maybe you couldn't get super high at every event, but I'm sure you could have gotten high at some. So yeah, a little bit disappointing. But we're gonna talk about all four of these because、uh, there's only four of them. This one that Tom put in here. I want to talk about this a little bit because I've seen many examples of this recently, like where the camera is stationary but it's a long shutter on something on the action. And I see what Tom was trying to do here, and I do appreciate the guy standing on the bike in the background and the guy blurred out in the foreground. But this technique is to be used. Basically, as sparingly as something like a tilt shift or a fisheye lens or something like that, like you really need to find a situation where it's going to work. This isn't just one that you just throw out there because, oh yeah, I'm just out here. I need a little bit more variety, so I'm going to do this. No, this is something again that you need to plan for. You need to get the right background. You need to get the right light. Again, it's cool that you saw this. This way, and that you lined up with that guy in the background, but it's not enough to overcome the fence and the trees and that pole. These pictures need to be aesthetically pleasing, and when everything in the picture is shouting "Look at me," that doesn't. It doesn't accomplish that. So when you do something like this, the background is always going to be more prominent than whatever it is that you were shooting because those things are going to be in focus and. Frozen, and the thing that is moving is going to be completely blurred out. Everything has to work, like the light in the background, and what you're shooting, and how long you leave it open for, and all of that need to be perfect. 
And when you have a bale of hay that's in focus and everything else is out of focus or these trees and this fence or whatever, it just does not work. You have to trust me on this. It doesn't work like that. The, the fence is fine with me, but the, the trees and that pole, if they weren't there, I think it would have been a really, really good photo because you just see that guy uh, with a bike. Uh, on the other side of the fence and I think it would have been that very, very nice but it's not really small detail it's details you know you don't want anything to be distracting um, if it's distracting it's probably just not going to work and this is exactly that um, moving on to Avara Compa I actually have two of them one is high I, by the way I actually got an email from like one of those like CrossFit you know companies that wanted me to shoot these things and it's laughable like how much you're gonna pay for these things huh? like that how much they pay is crazy and they like basically tell you like these are the photos that we want and it's like come on so I'm assuming that they hire really like amateurs like take these photos. It's crazy. I would rather have that this guy, you're basically at the top of this ramp that he's almost there and he's really struggling. You can see his, you know, reaction to what he's doing. Or maybe like you're so close to him, you can see just his fingers clutching onto the rope or something. He's way too low. Like he's, he's what you're too high. Well, you know, you're high enough. You should be there. But he's not, he should be much closer to you. So you can basically see the elevation and that's it. And you could have even got, you know, kind of closed in on him a lot more. So you can kind of get rid of all these people who are like all these kids, like who are watching next to him. That's really just like simply put, this guy has to be a lot closer to you uh, physically. And you want to use something, a wide lens. So you can even use a, use a whatever, like 50, 70 millimeter that you can basically then block off the rest of the, the gallery that's on the left of kids. You don't really, doesn't it doesn't add to the photo. It's just only distracting. So that's my take on that. And Matt will tell you. Good idea, poorly executed for the most part. Part of it is that the angle is really good. It's really disorienting, which I like. He managed to get everything perpendicular and parallel, which I, you know I'm a big stickler for. But it's... Man, it just needs to be closer. This would work if he was, you know, this far away. If the if somehow you managed to have the whole frame, and it, it would have to be a bigger ramp, I would imagine. To you know, I don't think a water lens or anything like that would have helped. I think it just would it would have needed to be a bigger ramp. But if if you showed this guy was in total isolation on this ramp that was huge and he was really small or something, then it could be this far away. Otherwise, it needs to be closer. What this picture screams to me is a timing problem. His face looking away and it, it's like, I can't tell if he's climbing up it or down it or whatever, but the problem is that he's looking away from you and the rope is covering his face partially. So it just, it, the, the picture was either uh, before this as he was trying to come up or if he was trying to rappel down or something like that, or if he had fallen to see the anguish in his face or something like that. But this is an outtake. That's, you know, that's like if you were taking a bunch of pictures very quickly and you had a couple where he was looking at you, then you keep those and you get rid of the one where he's looking away or has no expression on his face. Um, so it's just a very good idea, just not super well executed. And the second one? Better than average. Like I would rather look at this picture because of how it's composed architecturally, the circles within circles and the the break between the pipes. But again, they need to be doing something. Like this could, she could just be sitting there. This isn't peak exertion or there's no emotion on her face or whatever. So you're seeing things and you're definitely taking our advice on 
how to look for different pictures and how to compose and carefully and all that kind of stuff. And that's good. But man, you need to look for a moment. You can't just get to where you are and be like, yes, this is exactly what I had planned on. This is the composition that I was looking for. And man, I've just, I nailed it because I have the right lens on and I'm in the right place at the right time and all that kind of stuff. And all that stuff might be true, but it's still sports photography and you still need to have a good sports moment or, you know, at the very least a human moment for a sporting competitor. And neither of these things are that like the, the exact same thing is wrong with both of these pictures. It's, you know, like when I, for instance, like shoot events i do sometimes and when they're for instance like talking you know speeches and things like that you have moments that when they are looking up to the audience and sometimes you're looking down like looking at their nose and things like that you know it's one of those things that people do well after a while like if you just like look at someone for about you know a minute or two you kind of like get into like this rhythm or you understand like what their rhythm is like okay now he's gonna look down now he's gonna look up now he's gonna use his hand and you have to like be aware also for sports as well because i think it's very easy that you i cannot imagine this 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 woman was facing down the entire time i really don't and you have to really be ready for it and most human pe- most humans they act quite in a in a similar manner like when you breathe when you don't breathe when you do things when you do that and especially like in an event where you know things it's the what you have to do like you have to climb a rope or you have to go through this tunnel. I'm sure like after looking for a while, like you're going to like notice moments like, oh yeah, if he gets to this point, he's going to look up. Or if, if she gets to this part of the tunnel, she's going to like look and take a breath, take a breath or maybe just like look forward to see like how much further she has to go. Like those things, you have to understand that when that is. And after that, it's very easy. You know the moment, just wait for the moment and just take a picture of it. That's it. Just like shooting photo of like this nice circle thing, it's just not going to really do it at all. Which then comes to Jim Sommer's photography. Not very sporty. <laughs> it just looks like a, a lady who's riding a horse. I like it, the blue sky and everything, but you know what Matt says quite frequently, it's not a very athletic moment. And to me, that kind of, that does it, you know? Maybe athletic moment for the horse itself, but... I can't see both their faces. Not that it's important, but I do kind of want to see a bit more of an athletic thing going on over here. And once again, there has to be some kind of a connection between you and, and, and whoever is looking at these, this photo. Not you and the photo and the person who's actually looking at them. And I just kind of see this white blue sky and this horse and that's about it. So that means it's not very, very good. In that respect, it's not really a sports photograph per se. And that's my take on it. I disagree that it's not a sports photograph. I I agree that it's not very good. This is barrel racing, so if you don't know, that's that's what's going on here. There's three barrels, and the rider and the horse need to go around the barrels in a certain pattern without knocking the barrels over and still being fast. This is like a example of not shooting rodeo like you're supposed to shoot rodeo, so I'm sympathetic to Jim for trying it. This kind of picture can work, but... And this is something that really only comes when you really shoot a lot of rodeo and start to figure it out. There's every rodeo arena is different. So the way people have to do things in the arena is different. And then how you shoot it is different. For the perfect example right here is that the barrel can be closer or further away from the fence, depending on how big the arena is. Sometimes you can shoot where you're actually really close to that barrel because either the fence is close and you're shooting under it, or there's a photo pit there, or it can be on the fence or something like that. But 
the problem here is that to get this wide of a picture, you're just too far away from it. And then you have, what is the horse doing? Well, the really good horses, when they go around a barrel, will be a crazy athletic angle. And I think that's what separates the good ones from the bad ones is that how athletic they are and how how quickly they can move around the barrel without falling down or knocking the barrel down or bucking the rider off or whatever. And this isn't an example of that. Like the way this horse is mostly upright and moving around the barrel isn't super athletic. You have a situation where the barrel's too far away, the horse isn't doing exactly what you would hope that it was doing. And for this kind of picture to work from this angle, the horse has to be super low or its legs all have to be going in different directions or something like that. And this is like kind of a standard picture. Like she could just be riding the horse around. Like this isn't an example of something super athletic. A lot of things working against you here. Again, the idea was good, but the execution isn't for reasons that are your fault and not your fault. So you need to look for where you can take advantage of an arena where the barrels are very close to the fence. This isn't that. So you wanna shoot this in a different way to kind of take advantage. Like if you wanted the clouds or something like that, you can do that, but you have to shoot it differently than this because it still needs to be an example of athleticism and it's not really. And there you have it, another assignment desk with not that many entries but we just kind of hope that you're gonna you're you're gonna start you know participating a lot more because it wasn't a very difficult one this one at all like high and low no and i think that you know people i i get that people can learn from our critiques of other people's pictures but you have to believe us when we say that you'll learn more when it's you that's doing it because you'll you were there when you were making it and i think the advice that we give you can be more relatable to you because if we're critiquing your picture and you were there things will start to make yeah, more sense do it. and really? so just it's this one wasn't that hard i don't think the next one is all that hard it might be a little bit rarer but in general enter it you don't have to be a donor to to enter this so you should do it because it will help you faster than if you just look at our critiques of other people's pictures and that ends the assignment task pledge cues qqqs what this is is that if you are pledging to us on patreon.com/bofs you get to ask us questions, like one question per episode. And these are the questions that we will be answering today. There's quite a lot. We can't spend forever. So I'm like, I'll just make sure that Matt doesn't like go from this you know, long thing. Yeah. So I'm just going to keep it snapped. The first one is from North of Tassie. I am a hobbyist photographer and have received well-intentioned conflicting advice about whether a 300mm or a 400mm lens is needed. Are these lenses primarily for professionals who need to capture midfield action shots? Is a 70-200 is sufficient or is a 300-2.8 or 4 a good idea for a hobbyist? Will the greater access available at non-professional events offset the need for a lens longer than 200mm? Thanks for your help. It depends on how you shoot. If you're patient enough or a good enough editor of your own work and you're not working for anybody, then yes, a 7200 is sufficient. You can shoot only when things come very close to you and be happy with five pictures a game or something like that. If you're not happy with five pictures a game or you're not happy shooting a lot of pictures and having to delete all of them because they're way too far away, or if you're a bad editor and you can't tell the difference between a picture that's too far away with a 70 to 200, then 
yes, you, you need a longer lens. The longer lens lets you get better pictures further away. And field sports happen. Most of the action is just going to happen far. Probability-wise, <laughs> it's just going to be further away from where you are. Like when, if you're shooting a, a football game, um, you know, every play they reset the ball in the middle of the field. The only time that a 70-200 is going to be okay for football is when the play comes right towards you if you're on the sideline. And even if it comes right towards you, you could be blocked by the bench or even if the ball is like at the five yard line or something like that it could go wide to one side or the other side it's very the difficult part is telling somebody that they should spend five or ten thousand dollars on a lens when they are a hobbyist i get that believe me i take that very seriously i'm not just telling people to spend that kind of money on photo gear but it just depends on what you're trying to do how patient you are how good of an editor you are and and what you're shooting like you could go out and shoot skateboarding or something like that and you know be fine with a lens that's even shorter than 7200 but if you're shooting soccer football baseball things like that where you know safety reasons and flow of the game you need to be far away then at some point in time a 7200 isn't going to be long enough and the sooner you buy a 300 the more you can be using it so if you you know if you're on the fence right now and if you shoot more and then you think in a year from now or something like that watch well, i'm really gonna need a three or four hundred you're gonna wish that you bought it now because you would have a whole another year's worth of use on it so mm. that's the answer it's not a yes or no answer but place yourself on that grid of need versus want versus what you're shooting versus how good of an editor you are versus how patient you are and the answer will become clear to you um just really quickly for me i think you should if you can rent one you should rent it and see, and it really depends on the sport as well. So have a, like if you can rent 300 or 400, take it to your next game, whether it be a basketball game or baseball game or football or whatever, and just see how it goes. And if you think what you can get with those lenses, the longer lenses is just absolutely necessary, then I think you have the answer, but you have to make sure you have the money as well, because I don't want you robbing a bank at this point. Next uh, question is Jim Summers. To piggyback a little on north of Tassie's question, I am a little more than just a hobbyist, but still fairly new to it all and consider myself as a very semi-professional in that I do a little more, I do make a little more money uh, at my photography. I do shoot with a Nikon 7200 2.8 VR2, camera bodies are D750 and D500. And from time to time, use my Tamron 150-600 for more reach, but the depth of field issue comes into play and I just don't get the bokeh I want, especially at rodeos. Obviously, the Nikon 300 uh, 2.8 would be a nice addition. My question is, how I, how important is VR when shooting action sports? No, it's not at all. This is none. Yeah, this you did is, all the things, nothing. This is, nothing. This is the easiest, stupid. This is the easiest <laughs> answer that there is. It, you, you don't need it. Focusing mechanism thing is the very important thing and the older lens have really shitty ones well don't yeah you don't need to get like really old ones, right, right right don't you know don't get the screw need drive. AFS. yeah afs, AFS for sure. afs don't yeah, get the it. yeah don't get the screwdriver ones um yeah, yeah, yeah they'll be really bad yeah I, AFS. This, these weird lenses like the 150 to 600 i just these aren't sports these aren't for sports the, it's like f5.6 and things like that don't so you can't use that yeah was, like he said you know yeah yeah that was the easiest that's the longest question yeah, for the easiest, easiest answer, answer. Yeah. simon west asks how do you handle juggle your phone at 2.8 when you are not using it you've got your 400 millimeter on one body and 7200 or wide angle on the other and you're sat crouched behind the advertising besides the pitch your technique and my technique so go 
your technique? Uh, so I will have the 400 on a monopod. I'll have the 70-200 or sometimes an 85, 1.4 uh, on a different body on my shoulder. The, what works best for me is spinning the monopod around with my one hand and uh you know, so that the long end of the lens ends up going over my shoulder and then, you know, kind of work on it to the point where it's one motion, spinning that around, putting it on your shoulder and then grabbing the other body with with your other hand. That's, okay. that's really um, the only way that it works for me. I, I think if there's time, you could, I guess, set it down. But when the play is coming at you and if it's crossing the threshold between good for a 400, but too, and then too close for a 400, any kind of other time, it's going to be closer and closer to you so you're going to be missing pictures if you don't do it as quickly as you can so that's how i do it i just put it on my shoulders my left shoulder so i just you know if you know you know i think you know what i mean i just put like the you know the the opposite way of matt i just put it on my you shoulder. put the camera body on your shoulder yeah well like whatever like i just kind of put it you so just like lean the, it back the tip of the basically, yeah the tip of back. the lens is like yeah. right next to my head yeah basically 200 7200 i use f4 so i can actually operate it with one hand so it's even faster so it's actually it's very quick i can just grab it and then do that um and you know then same thing i want to be able to actually operate everything with one hand because if i have to then like put my left hand next to it that takes time so i usually can do it with that if I have to, then like, you know, I can start shooting. And if I need to, like, adjust the zoom, I would just adjust it, you know, when I start already started shooting. Because sometimes things actually happen so quickly, you just have to react and just start shooting. And that is it. What do you do with a 400 when the action is close and you're using your other body? Lay it down. We think we, we have to answer that. Hold it with your knees. Not with your knees, no. Put it over your shoulder, yes, or something else. What's the best way to keep it available but not drop it while concentrating on taking shots with another body? So we answer all that. Bonus second question. So please ignore if you have too many. We do, but we won't. But this is a quick one. Matt, you suggested using ND filters to help you with slow shutter speed images. I got one ND3 that is too dark. I think it's shooting eclipses or something. <laughs> what darkness rating would you suggest? Well, yeah, I don't know what ND3 means if... If it means stops. three, if it means three stops, um, over here I think they call it 0.9 for that. Mm. That's what I use. So um, maybe it's I don't like know. somewhere not too bright then. Well, I mean, it, it could be that ND three means something different there. Maybe. But you know, there there are ones that are for shooting eclipses. There are ones where you could leave the camera open for twelve hours in the sunlight or something like that. If if that's what we're talking about, then yeah, that is too dark. Yeah. For me, three stops is more or less where I want to be. So that's what I have. I have all of the ND filters I have are three stop ND filters. I don't find them to be too dark for for this. But then again, you know, it also depends on what lens you're shooting with. Like I have these because I often shoot with an 85 1.4 and a 135 f2 and you know then i do some panning with really long fifth of a second shutter speeds or whatever mm. even with the 2.8 lenses so i need that they make other nds so they here it's the ones i would consider 0 0.3 0 0.6 and 0.9 so it's one stop two stops and three stops you you know if that one's too dark then drop it down I have a, a question. I, just, I find these to be the most like, useful for how I use them. If I'm doing like like panning stuff, like indoor sports, you think ND, and then if I want to like have the background go dark, you think ND3 is enough? Or like three stops is enough? Indoor, I think ND3 is probably going to be too much. Huh, okay. It's like what, two stops? I have them be because most of the panning stuff that I do is outside. Yeah. 
but I have up if it's like really dark. You know, in in the bright sunlight. So ND3 inside would be way too dark. Maybe that's what he's talking uh-huh. about, but I it, it's impossible to know from this question. But it's simple. It's it's very easy to figure it out when you go somewhere. You know, set up your camera as if you were going to pan, even if you don't have the ND3 filter and any kind of ND filter, and figure out how overexposed you are. You know, given the ISO and the shutter and the aperture that you want, and then buy the ND filter to match you know what the what the general conditions are you know yeah but i think if you want to pan i think nd3 i probably need something like that for it to kind of throw the entire background to black right or you think it's too much no it's i think it's too much for inside i think you have to think about so what two stops is okay when i'm outside the reason i have the nd filter is that the iso can only go down so far if you're inside Mm. and whatever it is you would be shooting you have that much more room to play with on the iso and on the aperture one because to get a fifth of a second in the broad daylight you need to be at whatever the maximum you know, the, the smallest aperture that you could possibly have, the F22 or F16 or something like that. And even then, sometimes you're too fast on the ISO. Yeah. So, you know, that's why I have it. But if you put an ND3 filter on inside, then you're going to be jacking up the ISO to, you know, to be able to get to where you are instead of being at the lower limit already. So I, I think three stops inside is probably too much. It's not saying you can't get away with it, but you probably don't need it because you have the more wiggle room with the aperture and the ISO. Uh, we'll talk about it later on because I, I, I actually was thinking about getting one, but I really want to like do a specific effect. You can get what? these filters for mm-hmm. 30 or $40 or something like that. So it's not, we're not talking about a whole other yeah. lens. So just get it. Yeah. Um, Michael K asks, I'm a relatively new shooter and have been photographing a lot baseball this spring. I'm wondering what technique I should use to pre-focus on second base. And it's your question or any location in any sport for that matter. Okay. Could be my question as well. In anticipation of a possible important play. Uh, I don't, I, I don't. Just pre-focus and wait? I mean, I, I don't, I don't really pre-focus because focusing is fast enough, really. I mean, I understand. For me, pre-focusing is when there's going to be something in between me and what I'm shooting that would mess up the autofocus that, you know, I don't want to take a chance that the autofocus is going to focus on the wrong thing. So I'm going to pre-focus on what I want so that no matter what happens in between me and that, I'm still going to have, uh, you know, an in-focus shot. Yeah. But I understand the whole pre-focus thing because a lot of things that I do, like when I'm shooting um, very low, so I'm not really looking at yeah. the uh, the viewfinder. So basically, I'm like laying the thing and I'm just, you know, just angling it to the point that I know the, the whole scenery, whatever I'm shooting, is going to be inside the frame. I do pre-focus, pretty much like know where these, you know, players, players will pass by or whatever action that I yeah. want to shoot is going to happen. So I just pre-focus. But that's not really what the question is, though. Yeah, but the thing is, like, I think is asking for pre-focus. There's not much technique involved in it, really. Just the fact that you need to basically focus it first and wait for the thing to happen. He's asking specifically about baseball. There's a guy on first base. He's a stealing threat. When that guy takes off, you're. This is where you need to have some kind of experience with this. The dugout of the defensive team is going to be yelling to let their pitcher and the catcher know that this guy's stealing. Yeah, there's enough time then. That's why you don't right. need pre-focus. Right. But so he's asking if it's a pre-focusing situation. Like it's not because you have the time because you you're sh- whatever you're shooting. If there's a guy on first base and you hear one of the dugouts go going crazy then there's plenty of time to move to recompose on base or the second baseman or the shortstop or whatever no, and i understand that. be able to focus yeah 
I understand that, but I'm just saying like if you have to pre-focus like on certain you know situation, I usually just basically wait for other people who are going to be at the place yeah. that I want to focus. Like you know, there's like camera crews and things like that. They're kind of yeah. walking past by, and I just focus there and just you know. Right. It. Right. Yeah. yeah. You want to. You want to. If you're actually in a situation where you need to pre-focus, then do it like you were doing it metering. You know, you wait till somebody goes into the into that area and meter on them, or you wait until they go in there and focus on them. Yeah. You know, the other thing is that if you're in the third base side and you're shooting second base, all of that action is basically going to happen the same distance away from you because that line is parallel to you. Three feet uh, on one side or the other of second base and second base itself are all going to be the same the same focus but if you're at first base then the runner is going away from you and the defender is coming towards you if he has to make a tag or something like that so i don't know about pre-focusing if you're at first base but if you're getting a steal from third base of second base then you know you could you could pre-focus on the bag and you know but i just don't think you have to no you don't have to i don't understand why you have to like it's enough time i just yeah again i don't know we haven't really covered all this i think there was a blog post about this oh, what, a long long time ago back button focusing oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you should, yeah yeah you should be using yeah. that don't use um, it. don't use your so face. any kind of mid-level to high-level camera is going to have an af on button in the back use that. i don't i don't know what it's called with canon but um, the same there's thing, a button like, yeah. there's a button where you can focus with your thumb and so you want to be focusing with your thumb so that you can so that the shutter button is only a shutter button you know so that you can compose you know whichever way you want to and let the let your thumb worry about focusing and so this is important for many 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 reasons but this is another one where once you get used to it and it does take a little bit to get used to it but once you do get used to it you'll find that it's way way better so you just decouple the focusing from the shutter button and use the back button you'll be much better off way faster for focusing kevin sosa asked probably the best question of the whole thing how do you deal with heat waves i've been shooting lots of baseball when the weather is smoking hot and i've noticed my photos are not as sharp <laughs> I mean, it doesn't get hot here so i have to ask you matt cohen how yeah do you, you just have to shoot waves? things that are the closer you are to what you're shooting the less heat there is coming off that's there, there's no uh there's no like filter or magic technique or anything i mean i have baseball pictures that are in the summer it does get hot here sometimes, especially in day games. And if you're trying to shoot an outfielder making a diving catch, you are going to get screwed most of the time by those heat waves. It is a huge pain in the ass. It makes it look like it's not in focus, even though it is. Mm. Nothing you can do, bro. It sucks. Yeah. There's nothing you can do other than shoot it as you would, but know that you're going to get screwed most of the time. And then know that the closer the thing is that you're shooting, there's less of the heat waves in between even that it's like uh fog or haze yeah. or anything like that like the it multiplies over distance or rain as well huh? sometimes like when it's raining really hard rain, it yeah, focuses on too. the rain and yeah. not the players so and there's nothing you can do about it you just have to be lucky you know no, <laughs> you're like you shooting through this, like yeah. at that moment through the rain and you get and that's it slim shoddy asks do you guys use single point or dynamic range focus? Which do you prefer, dynamic range? Um, on the D3S, I used to only use single point. Yeah, the, me too, but... Man, the D5 is amazing for autofocus. So now mostly I'm using 
uh, 25 points, so he uses the single point and then the I guess the 24 points around that or something most of the time. But then I use the other modes depending on what I'm shooting. But yeah, and that's the thing, huh? It, you have to like you have to really know the autofocus system. Like this is the the most crucial thing. Like especially when you get a new camera or when you're shooting in a a difficult shooting position where there's the foreground and the background is confusing the camera or something like that. And oh, if you only would have changed to a different mode or something like that. Um, you would have been better off. So this is a super personal kind of thing. And this gets back to using the back button for focusing. You want to put yourself in the best position to get the in-focus picture and the more advantages that you can have, like figuring out how to work that. Because one of the reasons that we say to use the back button is that you can be engaging and disengaging the autofocus quickly. If the focus comes off, you can take your thumb off of it and put it back on and focus again. And the faster you get with that and recognizing when it's going to come off and when to put it back on and then how that works with each of those. Like I don't know how it is with the D4s, but with the D5 it had the the auto area like the old white rectangle or whatever is really smart. And so if you know that something is going to be the only subject in focus, you know, the only um, thing that's at the same distance or whatever then you could use that it's very reliable but mm -hmm. if you're trying to compose very carefully and keep something on one side of the frame then you want to use single point or the dynamic because it's going to use those helper points to get it in focus so it really just depends you know do you want what you're shooting to be you know, do you want to be really safe and have it right in the middle and have a lot of wiggle room or are you really trying to do something creative with the composition of it the single point would be better in that case or the dynamic where you could again use the helper points if the focus comes off of the single point. So this is all a combination of personal preference, what you're trying to do, how well you know the autofocus system and what mode for it to be on each of the time. There's not like a, a simple answer to this. You just have to use what works for you. The more you use your camera, you'll figure out what works and what doesn't work. But let's put it this way. They're not putting all of those different modes on. Like the, the D5 has like seven different choices for how the autofocus is set up. They're not putting all of those on there just to be fancy or whatever. They're putting those on there because life is complicated and they want to give you the best chance at getting something in focus. So if you can master all of those things, you're going to be much better off. To say that it does depend on the sport as well. So I'm, I don't use the same way to focus when I'm shooting figure skating as opposed to shooting football, you know? And you kind of have to like test it out and see what works and what doesn't work. Just try it out and see how it goes. That's it for listener cues. Um, we'll be waiting for more of these cues. Or someone asked us really on the Flickr group page why we aren't responding to any of the questions that are on the group. <laughs> this is my favorite. This is but, my favorite thing ever. Yeah, but the thing is, I don't think he knew. So he the thing listen is, like, because he's just know. a troll. No, no, no. But I'm just gonna say, like, if you've not listened to our shows before, the reason we don't answer to any of the uh, the questions on the Flickr group page is because we answer them here on the podcast and the questions are from people who are making pledges to us on patreon so if you want to ask us questions and if you want them to be answered by us please go to patreon.com slash b l f s and that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash b l f s yeah you know it's confusing stuff for some people but um that's kind of how it goes In Masterclass, we pick a topic in sports photography and we serve it on a plate to your ears. You got something to say? Tell us at BigLensFastShutter.com. Now, 
By the way, so this master class is going to be your next assignment desk, and this is going to be emotion. I think we already did this like earlier in the year because it's very, very important. I wasn't homeless, woke up this,、uh, this past week for five days. Amateurs kind of show their emotion a lot more than professionals. Professionals, as you can imagine, they're professionals. They do this for a living. So even if they lose, even if they win, hey, They're gonna go home to their, you know, their wonderful home to their hot wife to whatever bazillion million euros that they have to spend. It's not that bad. But for people who are, you know, amateurs, when they lose, it's a big, 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 big deal. Or when they win. So when I was shooting them, the Indonesian national team, they lost the quarterfinals to Mexico and they were absolutely devastated. Some, like this one guy could not, like, was had to, like, carry off the pitch because he just couldn't, like, just get himself to go up. And once they were off the pitch, they were just crying and just, you know, red eyes, just people hugging each other and just that, that devastating, just horrible, you know, reaction to a loss. And what did I do? I took pictures of them. It was very difficult because I've been together with the team for like a couple days at that point. And then, you know, I got to know the players and they're very, very nice guys. And I found out what their background story is and everything. And it's very difficult at times. But it is my job. Like, it's my job to take pictures of that moment in their life and in that competition because sports, I cannot stress this more. It's a competition. And there is emotion involved. And there, is, there are always going to be winners and losers. And you have to be there. How like, uncomfortable you are, you have to be there to really get that moment because that matters a lot to the overall context of the whole thing and basically sports in general. There are so many you know, pictures we see daily of sports and action and just everything wonderful. But At the end of the day, it's a competition. So there's going to be winners and losers. And you have to, I honestly think you don't understand the importance of the emotion. That there are celebrations and there are just disgusted look when you get a foul call for something that the person didn't do. Just that nasty look or just that jubilation after a big win. Anything. And like I said, most of you don't shoot professional you know, events, you shoot amateur stuff. And amateurs are a lot more raw in their emotions. It should be a lot easier to do this. If I shoot anything professional like football,、uh, professional fo- fo- football, I don't really get that kind of an emotion, you know, day in and day out. Maybe when they lose a very, very big event like、uh, Champions League or、uh, World Cup or the Euro. But even so, it's not that much. So I will challenge you again that you go out and shoot emotions. And you have to really be locked in on this. And you have to really understand what point is that particular match. If they score a goal, are they going to be happy? Is the opposing team going to be sad? If it's really late in the, in the match, if the score is you know, 1-1, I mean 2-1, are you going to actually be on the side of the, the 2-1? So this team, let's say team A has you know, scored two goals and team B has scored one. And it's almost the game's over. And... What do you think at that point? Is that if Team B scores the tying goal in a dying minute, it's highly unlikely they will celebrate because of the fact that it's only a draw. But if Team A, who's winning, scores a, you know, win,、uh, the third goal, they will most likely celebrate because they will, that would then make sure that they will win the match. Things like that, you have to really be thinking. 
the position of yourself during the match and where the match is at at that point. It's not just football for any sporting event. I really just cannot stress this enough because it seems to be so difficult for so many of you guys. Well, for most, huh, really. I just really want you to go out there for the next month trying to get that very emotional moment in sport. Yeah, just a couple things. We have people that shoot kids' sports, whether it's real little kids or middle school or high school or whatever. I can count on the one hand the number of emotion pictures we've seen from those things. And I know those kids have emotions. I know that they're not old enough where they can even protect them a little bit. It's there and you're just not doing it. And I think that this really comes back to one of the things that really frustrates me about this is that you value the action picture more because that's what your friends and family or whatever is going to respond to. But the thing is that those emotion pictures are way more valuable because they're going to last way longer. And at any level that you're shooting, those pictures are going to be the ones that you look back on and are happy that you took. When I look back on pictures, the ones where people are really happy or really sad or whatever are the ones that I feel like looking at over and over again. And the stock action ones are like, wow, I was really just wasting my time at this game. I have a lot of running backs going through the line of scrimmage or a lot of people hitting tennis balls. Those are the pictures that I regret, never the ones that have emotion in them. So I think that you need to recalibrate the way you look at things and think it's not just, you know, you want to do both. Like those pictures are the ones that you're there for. And the action pictures are what you do until you get to the emotion pictures. If you start thinking about it like that, I think your work will improve. The pictures that you make will be more valuable. And even if you're not getting the kind of response that you want from your family and friends or whatever, it's important for you to, when you're listening to this you want to get better as a sports photographer this is how you get better the more variety that you have and that includes these celebration and dejection emotional yelling kind of pictures the better off you're going to be and again it's, it's shooting through the play and through the after the play and not saying oh i think I, I think i got a good action picture let me look at this on the back of my camera meanwhile somebody's yelling at someone else and you're not in any kind of position to shoot it you got to just keep oh, shooting like the, those pictures yeah. are going to be there at the end of it again you're stopping everything to look at pictures that are next to worthless when you're missing pictures that could be priceless so I hope that you can take that advice and I hope that uh, more than three people will enter in the assignment desk next month. And again, if you're shooting little kids, this stuff has to happen all the time. Like I shot high school sports when I was first getting started and there was all kinds of emotion. And yes, I did miss it, but no, I didn't have somebody telling me not to miss it. So there's no more excuse. Did we make a difference in your life? Go to patreon.com and pledge for us, to us, or to us, or towards us, or whatever it is. And that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash b-l-f-s. If you're listening to this on iTunes, thank Apple and then rate us. The higher we are rated, the more popular we are, and one day we might be featured as the top sports photography podcast. Think we only say bad things about sports photography? You say we got no soul? Hell no. We're gonna prove you wrong with... Cross Counter! (laughs) Time to hold your fellow sports photographer's hands as we tell you why a specific sports photograph makes us quiver 
with joy. I was stretching. Some of us more quivering. Yeah, than yeah, yeah. I was stretching. So went out of his way. Took us. Took him probably like you know eight minutes to find stuff that we can talk about, and that is on BostonGlobe.com. And it's Tour de France season. Yay! More sunflowers. And sunflowers, man, they just cannot. They cannot. No. Stay away from the sunflower pictures every year. Sucks. So, which one did you choose? Well, I think we both chose number thirty-three. That's by far about the Uh, best one. Yeah. So this guy won. What is combativity? Is that actually a thing? Is that a word? Slovakia's Peter Sagan celebrates his combativity prize. I guess it is one of the three. Maybe he attacked the most or something that day. Um. Yeah, so he, he got an award. Uh, they give awards to the best sprinter of the day and who won the stage and the rookie and whatever. Like, cycling really loves the podium. And they have they always have these girls that bring the flowers out and the banners or whatever, the, the jersey that he gets to wear the next day. And this is so good because this is like this perfect juxtaposition of the cyclist in his shorts and tennis shoes standing on the podium. And then on either side, the girls who bring the banner and the flowers to him are walking away and they're both wearing these bright red dresses with red patent leather high heels and it's so perfectly arranged timing wise and in the frame so that it's just the whole thing is symmetrical and it's just beautiful it's just it's just one of those things where it could be the most boring picture of this guy kissing a jersey or something like that and they, they don't even include it you know it's like you can't even see his head or what he won or anything like that and it's just the, um, the lower yeah. bodies and it's just so perfect it's just such a great picture and this is why the, the reason the heads are not involved is that i think you don't want your eyes to be wandering towards the head and you want just to go towards no the it's leg. just this is this is what you're yeah. you know this is the important part of this picture. so you kind of have to like if you want to shoot something like this if you want the your you know whomever who's going to be looking at your photo to focus on one thing you have to make sure you get rid of other stuff i don't know if the other ones that i really like i like the jersey thing but i don't like it as much as the other one it's not no the other one that i liked was the one from beside where it's just like wheels yeah it's uh number four okay so if you're a big time photographer or you're shooting for a, a big outlet or something like that you can get on these motorcycles that most of the people either have to shoot from the side of the road or they can be on a truck that is in the front or whatever and you're really limited when you do something like that but if you're big time you can be on a motorcycle and so you can go from being behind to being beside to going in front or whatever like these motorcycles can zip in and out and go wherever you want to go they can double back so this was taken from a motorcycle right beside the riders and i really like how he didn't try to get everything in the frame and he's got that white line going right through it and then the way the wheels are all aligned into a triangle that peaks like right in the middle of the frame i I think that's really cool i just i like that he went for it that it wasn't like this i need to get everybody's head in here or whatever like all the you can't tell any of who any of the riders are it's all just the legs and bikes yeah it's a shame isn't it this one i really like i I wanted to like like it, but it's a bit too haphazard, you know. And that's really like, the only problem that I have. Like, if it was perfectly aligned with such a beautiful photo, can you imagine? If it's like all like everything, like all the wheels are like perfectly done, it'd be really, really good. But like I, Matt I said, like yeah, I think the way that they're arranged in that triangle is cool. Like, yeah, it's, but it's, it would be it would be yeah, it would be nice more. if they were all in a line or yeah. something, or if they were all overlapping. 
yeah. it would be cool. Like you could get the Olympic rings out of it, which is yeah, almost, I about that it almost well. is yeah. as it is. But I just think it's cool because, you know, this is when we talk about not trying to fit everything in and just going for parts mm. or whatever, like this is That's what I want to see. Like yeah. this isn't a perfect picture by any means, but th- you know, this guy, so he knows it's going to be a three hour, four hour, five hour stage or something like that. And he knows he's going to have plenty of opportunities to do this. get headshots and action and whatever. And he took the opportunity to stop in the middle of it and get something like this, which is probably uh, better than... It's a three-week race. You don't need headshots of everybody on every day unless you're shooting for Getty or something like that. We just don't need it. I just want to add like one more thing. So I'm sorry, there's, I'm adding more pictures to it. But there's a picture of like the jerseys drying out on the... Um... Oh, maybe it's not drying out. Maybe it's just, just kind of like doing it for, you yeah. know, to like make it it's like a decoration thing. But there are certain things, by this the way, like 17. it's not, yeah, it's not really just about the uh, athletes competing, but like kind of parts of it. So what's very interesting about the cycling events is that they have quite colorful jerseys and you kind of like post, you know, you've actually like see this photo, uh, this kind of scenery of these jerseys like on somewhere. And it looks like it will actually tell a story, and that's exactly how you should do it. Equipments do matter for sports, and if you're thinking about maybe tennis, it's a racket. If you're thinking about like rugby or football, that might be like you know the football itself, the ball, or anything or the helmet. There's a lot of things that actually does involve around a particular sport, and if you can actually like create a story surrounding these equipment, that actually is a very very good way to actually do shots as well you have to be quite flexible in the way you think and you have to really like be thinking to yourself like what can i do to tell a story about a certain sport besides the actual action itself and this is a very good example of how you can actually do it so yeah and not the best photo but you know no yeah but look you know look through the rest of the pictures uh we'll have a link in the blog post for the for the podcast episode and i just see the, the there's two other kinds of pictures that are that are in this either ones that have been done a million times and are so unoriginal that it's ridiculous and then just absolute shit pictures and that's all and there's 30 something of them so the globe has access to all of the major wires so these are like all of the major photographers that are doing this and they're not just not doing good work it's really unfortunate this is really terrible i did actually talk about this because i did the uh, presentation at the uh, apple store berlin and I talked, you know, Matt and I talked about this like ad nauseum about how bad sports photography has become. And it's really because of the fact that it's over, you know, speed over quality. And yeah. this is what happens. Um, that's it for this cross counter. If you have come into this particular podcast and if you want to join on all the fun and the festivities and everything off Big Lens Fast Shutter, Please go to Flickr.com and search for Big Lens Fast Shutter and you will find our group page and you can post questions we will not not answer but other people will and then you can enter the assignment desk and training ground and all that kind of stuff. So just want to tell you that because that is the end of this episode. And with that, we end the 57th episode of Big Lens Fast Shutter. Can't do this without you, my beautiful listeners, and obviously Rob with two Bs, our wonderful producer, Extraordinaire. Even if you're not as evil as Matt Cohen, which he is, please go to our Facebook page and like us. Better yet, do that and subscribe to our blog at BigLensFastShutter.com. 
so that you won't miss any of our latest and greatest hits. And if you love us even more, please rate this podcast on iTunes. And obviously, if you have that dollar in your pocket, not refile, no, not dollar, $10 in your pocket, please go to patreon.com slash BLFS. And that is patreon.com slash BLFS. To recap, Facebook, blog, iTunes, and Patreon. Rinse, repeat, love us more. See you next month.